The oldest mother, the, the, the world's record of the woman who was the oldest when she had a baby, lived in Glendale, California, and she was 57 years of age. But really, that's not really right. If you want to find the, the oldest mother on record, you wouldn't go to a telephone book in Glendale, California. You'd go to the book of Genesis. And this lady, this woman in the book of Genesis, had a baby when she was 90. And that's 33 years past the world record, the woman in Glendale, California. And, and the Apostle Paul talks about this woman who, had, who was the oldest woman in the world to have a baby. But that's really not the point, of course, of Romans 4. He does deal with this birth of a child when a woman was past childbearing years. But that's not even really the point of chapter 4. Really, the point of it all is found in the third chapter, begin at verse 28. And that's the verse, I believe, is the pivotal verse of the entire book of Romans. And I, I want to call you back to that verse again, verse 28 of chapter 3. And it's this. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. It was the most heretical statement that a, that a theologian could ever make. And when he made this statement, when the Apostle Paul put this in print, the people who read it gasped in disbelief and horror. I mean, they vapor-locked. Because this is the most heretical statement they had ever heard. For the people who were reading this letter that Paul wrote were working for their salvation, and they were on their way to heaven by the good deeds they did. And the Living Bible says that we're saved by faith in Christ, not by the good things we do. And when they read that, they could not believe it. And the Apostle Paul knew how difficult it was for them to believe that. So this is the rationale I think he developed by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If I can confirm that one statement with an illustration, I can get my... I can get my readers to, to accept it or to believe it. And so he reached back, he, he dropped a bucket down into the well of his memory, and he drew up a bucket of illustration, and he splashed it on the page. And that's chapter 4. For chapter 4 is really just one long illustration of Romans 3.28, that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ and not by the good things that we do. And Apostle Paul is saying, really, uh, I'm talking about the kind of faith that Abraham had. You know Abraham, the father of our nation. I'm talking about the kind of faith that made him right with God. That's the kind of faith I'm talking about. Now, he gives a reason for the fact that righteousness is accomplished by faith in Jesus Christ and not by the good things we do. And so he says that. He, he gives us two reasons in verse 16. I want you to go back to that 16th verse and let's read it again. For this reason it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace. I want you to put a pencil after the word grace in your Bible there because that's the end of the first reason. And the original text has a syntax form that, that suggests that uh, a norm or standard, so that the Apostle Paul is saying that the reason that righteousness is accomplished by faith is in order that it might be according to the standard of grace. 
It is by faith in, so that it might be in keeping with the grace principle. Now here's the grace principle. That one day the Heavenly Father stooped down at Calvary and He offered us the gift of His Son. And in His Son is eternal life. So He offered us the gift of eternal life in His Son. And written across His arms are the words grace. And man reaches up his hands to receive the gift, and on his palms are written the words faith. And with the hand of faith he reaches up and grasps the gift of grace. And the moment that happens, salvation is terminated. For the only kind of response that God recognizes is that which supports the principle of grace, which is unmerited, undeserved favor. And the only thing that harmonizes with God's hand of grace is man's hand of faith. So it is by grace in order that it might be in concert with the... It is by faith in order that it might be in concert with the grace principle. Second reason is found in the second part of verse 16. In order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants... That's the second reason. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. In order, he says, it is by faith, in order that the promise might be certain. Now, God has designed a plan that will be certain, foolproof, because He wants His people never to wonder if they're saved or lost. Never to wonder, to fear if they're saved or lost. And so he's designed a plan that is certain, that is foolproof. It's the plan of salvation by grace through faith. Now, if we had to work for our salvation, we would never know whether or not we've worked enough. I mean, how much is enough? If you work 23 hours a day, is that enough for your salvation? Or does it require 24, you see? And if you had to buy salvation we would never know how much we have to pay, except what some preacher would tell us. Now, one preacher might tell us that it costs $10. Another preacher down the street, a little bit more expensive, he might tell us it costs $10,000, I mean, if he's paying for a building. So if you had to work for your salvation, or if you had to pay for your salvation, you would never know how much work it required or how much cost it demanded. Now, watch carefully. Assurance and security are possible only on the basis of grace. For if salvation is on our part, then we'll never know if we've ever done enough. And he comes to verse 17, and he makes this um, pivotal statement, pivotal to this text. Now look at it as I read it again. As it is written, A father of many nations have I made you in the sight of him who believed, even God... Even God, and then he describes it. I want you to take a pencil, I want you to circle that verse and underline the next two phrases. Even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Now when we're talking about salvation which is by grace, we're talking about a salvation which is accomplished by a God who does two things. He gives life to the dead. And He calls into being that which has never been, that which does not exist. And the Apostle Paul wants to know, you know, he's thinking in his mind, now, 
What do I know or whom do I know that best illustrates the fact that God, by faith in God, brings life out of death and calls into being that which did never, has not existed before? And immediately he thought of Abraham. And he thought of this story of the birth of Isaac, Abraham's son. Now, if you want to, you know, you get right down to it. The birth of Isaac was God bringing life out of death and calling into, into being that which had never been before. And on the basis of those two thoughts, he picks from his memory this story of the birth of Isaac. Now follow with me carefully. Verse 18. In hope against hope he believed in order that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Now the word belief there is a word that means having faith, of course, and it means that he absolutely, totally relied on God and God's work. And he hoped against hope, relying on God's word, for he had already given up hope that he'd ever have a child. After all, his body was good as dead. His sexual virility was, was past. His wife's womb was dead. He'd already given up hope of having a child. Let me, let me review with you. Let me just remind you of the story. God came to Abraham the first time when Abraham was 86 and said, I'm going to make you the father of a nation. And Abraham said, I have no children. He said, don't worry about it. He said, come with me. And they stepped out to the tent flap to the door of the tent and he said see those stars in the sky and they were numerous and they were glorious and he said just as the stars in the heaven there's that's what it's going to be like for you you're going to have children that many and that glorious I mean 69 kids is nothing and Abraham said I don't have any children and he said you're going to have some and he believed in God who spoke the incredible now watch carefully he believed and stood upon God's promise, God's word. And he trusted and relied upon God and his work and that alone. Now analyze with me the response of Abraham. Verse 19. First of all, it was against all hope, all hope because he was aware of his own physical limitation. He was aware of his own physical limitation. Go back to verse 17. This God on whom he relied was able to give life, bring life out of death. He was aware of his own limitation. You know, the first thing that's necessary before a person will ever come to salvation by grace is when he comes to the conclusion that he cannot save himself. Now, I don't have any problem with people who believe in salvation by works if they believe they can accomplish salvation by works. Personally, I think that human experience and the Bible teaches that a man will never be saved until he comes to grip with a, grips with the fact that it is spiritually and physically impossible for him to save himself. He's dead in trespasses and sin. Dead man can't do anything for himself. And so it was against all hope. He was aware of his own physical limitation. Second thing about this faith found in verse 20. Look at that. Yet with respect to the promise of God, 
he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. I'm interested in that. I'm impressed by that word waver. It's found three times in the Scripture, one time here, and two times in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 6. And let me read it from that. But let him ask in faith without any doubting. There's the word, without any wavering, without any doubting. For the one who doubts, there it is the second time, is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Now what he's saying is this, that he did not, he was not unsettled in his confidence or his assurance that God would do what God promised. Now, I was uh, baptized. I, I really wasn't baptized. I was dunked when I was about six years old. My sister came forward in a church service, and I was sleeping on Mother's lap. And when she got up to stand up for the invitation, woke me up, and I looked up and saw my sister going down far to the front. So I, 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 you know, I mean, my mother loved my, liked my sister better than me anyhow. So I wasn't going to let her get ahead of me. I, so I went forward, and I got dunked when my sister did. I began to approach my um, uh, teenage years. I began to come to grips with the fact that I had been, I went forward, but I hadn't, I hadn't really placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I hadn't really been saved. I, 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 got, I, I, made, I got that settled. But there's about a three-year period in there where I, I just was haunted and harassed by doubt. I mean, I was constantly, you know, worried about it. And, and came, to the, you know, came to that decision. I've never doubted it since. About two weeks ago, I was out jogging, you know, and your, your, brain's, your blood's pumping in your brain good when you're out jogging. So I was thinking about sermons and this text, and I was jogging along there. And I was thinking, well, now, what if... I hadn't done enough, and salvation is by works. And then all of a sudden, just you know, like a wham, like a sledgehammer, hit me in the head. Now, wait a minute. It's either by me or it's by Him. It's either something I accomplish or it's something He accomplishes. And we're not to waver when we put our faith in Him. I mean... We stand on that and that alone, you see. And it's not, a, a, it's not a faith that wavers. As a matter of fact, verse 20 indicates that time need not weaken faith. Now let me just say parenthetically, some of you have been waiting on God for a couple of years, or maybe two months, or two years, or 20 years. Listen to what Abraham says. Stand firm. God is the God of His Word. And you don't have to, you know, don't waver on it. Just trust Him, you see. Just trust Him. I believe it's William Bathurst who has a hymn. It's in the Baptist hymnal called, Oh, for a faith that will not shrink. And the first three stanzas of that hymn are one line, really. Listen to it. Oh, for a faith that will not shrink, though pressed by every foe, that will not tremble on the brink of any earthly woe, that will not murmur or complain beneath the chastening rod, but in the hour of grief or pain will lean upon its God, a faith that shines more bright and clear when temptest rage without, that when in danger knows no fear and darkness feels no doubt. I'm standing on God. 
And so Abraham stepped out of the door of that tent and he listened to this promise that God had made and he took his stand on that, you see, that God would be faithful to his promise. Now the best verse, I believe, in the Bible is the next verse. You want to pull a note there? It says, preacher's favorite verse. That'll really mean a lot in days to come. And being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Don't you love that? Fully assured that what God promised, he was able to perform. Now listen to me carefully. The real test of faith, what the test of faith is not a test of circumstances. In other words, it, it, you know, your faith is not tested by circumstances. Nor is logic a test of faith, nor is geography a test of faith. Now watch carefully. Faith tests what kind of God you have. You, will you write that down? Faith test what kind of God you have. Does this God you trust, is He able to pull it off or not? You see, that's the test. Years ago, when at the turn of this century, uh, Princeton University, Princeton Theological Seminary used to put out some of the best preaching, preachers that ever, wa- that ever was. There was a, I believe Princeton is a Presbyterian seminary. They sent preachers all over the United States. They were tremendous theologians. And some of the greatest preachers at the first part of the century graduated Princeton Theological Seminary, had great teachers there. One of them was a man by the name of Robert Dick Wilson. And, And after he retired as a teacher of Princeton Theological Seminary, he would come back once a year to Millard Chapel and listen to his students preach. They had a deal where the alumni was invited back on a, on a, on a weekend and, and these guys would be brought back and invited to preach and he'd go back and he'd just listen to them one time. He listened to, what, he listened to these students just one time. And somebody asked him one time why he came back to hear them just once. He never heard him preach after that. He said, well... I come back to hear my boys and to see if they are big godders or little godders. He said, there's some of them, he said, and if I, if, you know, when I hear if they are big godders or little godders, then he said, I know what their ministry will be and I just, you know, I just forget it. He said, some of them have these little old bitty gods and they always have problems and they're always going to have problems. But he said, there's some of them, I can just tell by the sermon I hear that they have this great big God who knows how to show himself strong on behalf of those who fear him. Let me ask you a question. Are you a big God or a little God? I'm serious. Is the God you trust, is the God you believe in, is he, is he a big God or a little God? What size is your God? And you say, well, how, how do I know? Well, let me tell you how you can tell. How big is your worry list? That's how, tell you, how you tell how big your God is. How big is your worry list? If you believe in a big God, see, you're going to trust Him for the big things and the little things, and you're going to be absolutely convinced He's able to pull it off even though He has to bring life out of death. And that's the thrilling thing about Abraham's offering of his son Isaac in the beginning. He took him up there, and he'd never had the precedence of a resurrection, and he said, He'll bring him back to life. He'll bring him back to life. 
Now, it seems to me that if God is a big God, then He's able, if He's promised to save me, and the Scripture is replete with His promises, that I can trust Him to do that and believe He'll do it and just rest it with Him. That's what saving faith is, is trusting God and trusting Him alone. Now look at this little hinge, verse 23. For the window swings back or the door swings back and, and Paul just all of a sudden... Now look at this, isn't this wonderful? He says, now this promise is not just for Abraham, it's for you as well. It's for you as well. I suppose that all of you are um, uh, prompt in paying your bills... <clears throat> but I, I, I imagine that occasionally, you know, you've, you've probably gotten a bill and you've uh, sent in the payment for it and, and uh, you paid for it, but they didn't get it time that the second notice went out, so you got the second notice. You know that one, don't you? We're going to come and take your children and your dog and car and everything. And, and if, you know, if you don't pay up, we've got all these people going to be on your doorstep. So you get that second notice, and you know you've already paid. you got to cancel check, maybe. So you rush down to the utility office, and you walk in there, and you say, Hey, I, I got this second notice, but I've paid this bill, and here's the proof. I know I've paid the bill. And you know what, you know what she does at the desk? All she, you know, she gets her one of those stamps, and she stamps it on there, paid in full. You know, she stamps that slip, paid in full, to guard against you ever having to pay that bill the second time. Now, what Paul is saying, it seems to me, is this, that Jesus one day walked up to the desk and he took the bill and he stamped in blood, paid in full, so that you'd never have to pay the bill again. And he wants you to believe that he's able to pull that off. And when you believe that He is able to pull that off, then you have experienced salvation by grace that has liberated you to live for Him for the rest of your life. Now, there are two applications. On the back, if you're using the worksheet. For the, I forgot to mention that. Reckon I'll start all over? <laughs> Maybe not. Whew. Somebody had a stroke just thinking about it. First application. Faith is strengthened by waiting. Faith is strengthened by waiting. Look at verse 20. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. Because, see, if God asks you to wait... He's not asking you to wait in order that your faith might be weakened. He's asking you to wait in order that your faith might be strengthened. Now, somebody took some time to count the number of promises that are in God's Word. And he said that there are 7,474 promises in the Word of God. Now, I counted them, so I'll take his word for it. Well, let's just suppose, you know, just for the benefit of the doubt, let's suppose that's ministerially speaking, and there are not really that many. Let's just, you know, let's subtract 3,000 promises, just in case he overshot it. That leaves 4,700, 
4,474 promises of, in God's Word. Now, if there are 4,474 promises in God's Word, how many did you claim this week? How many? How many? I dare say that most of you, most of us, didn't claim a single one. Now, God has given us His Word, and He affects that Word when you and I exercise faith in it. And when we find that Word and stand on it, then we can count it in the bank, even though we might have to wait a while for it to come to pass. That's why Abraham began to give glory to God before he ever saw the reality of it is with his own eyes. You know, you know that? Isn't that wonderful? Let's see your underwhelmed. Second, faith is based on knowledge. Faith is based on knowledge. You won't meet an ignorant Christian who is strong in faith. I've used this little illustration before. Let me do it again. It best sums up what I'm saying here. You ever seen anybody just learning how to drive? I've seen some of you still learning. You ever seen anybody just learning how to drive? I mean, you got a grip on the steering wheel, you know, both hands, and they're just glued right straight ahead. Um, a couple of years ago, um, Silo used to come over here in their driver's ed, and they had practiced parallel parking out here in front of the church. That was before they wiped out <laughs> three buildings and a curb. But they, 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 and, and these kids, you know, you could just see them scared to death. And they'd, they'd just be, you know, hands gripping and, and just, just uh, glued straight ahead. Just, you know why? Because they didn't, know any, they, they didn't know anything about it. And they were uncertain and insecure because it was new to them. See them now, the same ones going down the street in their pickup trucks. And they're just kind of cruising, you know, one arm over here and, you know, just <laughs> one finger just kind of. The same, same silo students. The only difference is that they, they know it now, you know. They, they, they've learned, they, they have the experience now. And, and the more you know God, and the more you know His Word, the more you trust Him. And I suppose that when we talk about the fact that we, well, I just don't have any faith, I just, I just don't have any faith, we're just telling off on ourselves. Because the more we know the Lord, and the more we understand, the more knowledge we have of Him and His Word, the more we trust Him and relax on His greatness. And that's what old Abraham was all about. Now, the Apostle Paul said, Now, isn't that enough to convince you that righteousness is by faith in Jesus Christ and not by anything you can do? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that there is a plan that's foolproof. And we don't have to wonder if we've done enough, said enough, bought enough.
even trust enough to just reach out the hand of faith to receive. Lord, I pray for that person who wants to do that tonight but has not been able yet to do it. Lord, you've even given us the faith to believe. Give us that faith. For I ask in Jesus' name for his sake.